This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Forsyth. So James, how are things looking for Boris Johnson the day after his vote of confidence? So Boris Johnson's held cabinet this morning and he, he as he was saying in this clip last night, he kind of says, oh, now we can move on. I think anyone who has wandered into the uh, Westminster today would know that that, that, that isn't going to happen because all the conversation is about, you know, what happens next, what manoeuvres there might be to, to, try and, uh, to try and create the opportunity for another vote. I mean, the other problem for him is it is hard to see what the good news coming down the track for the government is. There are two by-elections coming up in about a fortnight's time on, on June 23rd. One in Wakefield, red wall seat, one from Labour for the first time in a long time at the last election. You know, the expectation are that the Tories will lose that, but lose that kind of in line with the national polling. And then there's another contest which I think is more problematic for Boris Johnson in Tiverton, Honiton, in, in the West Country, where it is thought that, you know, quite spectacularly, a 24,000 Tory majority could be overturned and overturned quite comfortably by the Liberal Democrats. And I think that will create another set of panic from Tory MPs. Now, two weeks from now is obviously, two, two and a bit weeks from now, is obviously too soon for, for to have another go at kind of changing the leadership rules or another vote. But I think it illustrates the problem, which is, I think if you re-ran the ballot today, more Tory MPs would vote against Boris Johnson, because simply because people now know how many of their colleagues want him to go and therefore how hard it would be to reunite the party so some people who are kind of agnostic on the question voted with the incumbent yesterday would probably flip their vote i think these by-elections will move a few more people into that column and it's then hard to see what boris johnson does to, to pull people back in and i think this is one of the difficulties which is you know we'll for example get the legislation on the northern ireland protocol this week that will undoubtedly please some tory mps but it will alarm others look at how jesse norman has yesterday kind of criticized those plans from the northern ireland protocol now there might not be other tory mps might not think that but they might worry about the consequences of a trade war with the eu at a time of a cost of living crisis and i think this is another problem for boris johnson as illustrated by this which is you know in those international negotiations with the european union he is now weakened because in the European Union's view will be, look, even if we were prepared to make some compromises on the Northern Ireland Protocol, why not wait and offer that to the incoming Prime Minister rather than to Boris Johnson? Because we don't know how long he is going to be there. And I think this is what is going to make life very difficult for him from now on. It is hard to see what he does. And I think the other problem is, it's hard to see that, if you think back to kind of Margaret Thatcher and all the trouble about this, you know, maybe things would have been very different for her after the Anthony Meyer stalking horse challenge, if she come out and said, well, I'm, I'm now dropping the poll tax, uh, or the community charge, as she used to call it, that is how I will bring the party back together. I think because so much of this is about Boris Johnson personally, it's quite hard to see what the policy remedy to the divisions in the party now are. Now, now to be fair, uh, there'll be two things that Number 10 will be mildly pleased about this morning. One is that, that we haven't had any ministers resign. Yet. No, indeed. The GPS resigned last night. John Lamont, yes, but we haven't had any ministers resign today. The second thing that I think they will be pleased about is you know, there are some rebels, such as Philip Davis, saying, well, look, we didn't succeed, we should move on. But I think the danger is that on the rebel side, I think he is undoubtedly in a minority in that view. 
Yes, it's funny, isn't it, Katie, that the day after the Prime Minister wins a vote of confidence, he's the one licking his wounds and not the rebels. So what are the rebels generally up to today? If, if Philip Davis is, is in a minority in thinking that it's time to, to move on and get behind the Prime Minister, what are the rest of them saying? Well, there's lots of talk about whether you could change the rules when it comes to the 1922 committee so you can challenge again. Though I think it's worth pointing out, no one is saying let's challenge again in two days' time. I think that's more a couple of months' time. I think that... Obviously, Philip Davies, you've also had on the WhatsApp group, I think, uh, of Tory MPs, those in marginal seats, you've had one saying, let's unify, disunity is bad for everyone. But as both you and James pointed out, I don't think that's where the majority of rebels are. And instead, I think actually the fact that the number of rebels was so high has actually galvanised them. If I think this had been double figures, there might be a sense that they're quite far off need to go and lick their wounds but instead if you think about it, only what 30 or so more MPs and Boris Johnson would have been gone so you end up in a situation where with the by-elections obviously later this month that would be another trigger now I still think it's tricky to imagine a vote before them but I think the privileges committee is gaining more and more importance and when you're speaking to MPs and members of government today I think despite all these cabinet ministers coming out and saying this is drawing a line on it as Nadim Zahori said, you know, this is a handsome win. I'm yet to find really someone who actually believes that. And instead it is I'm just intrigued by this phone, but yeah, okay. No, it's just an email from my brother. I thought maybe something had happened during my okay. But this is about the origin of the phrase the men in suits. Oh, okay. To see them. What is the origin? Well, the origin, it goes down to Alan Watkins, a former spectator columnist, saying a typical conservative tends to wear a dark blue or black suit with chalk or pinstripes. Now, but of course, my favourite phrase was when Ian Duncan Smith was saying that people were saying to Ian Duncan Smith that he get visit from the men in grey suits. And he replied, well, if they do that, they'll be leaving my office without their grey suits. What a wonderful image that was. <laughs> and I think when it comes to the men in grey suits, I think... For now, I think they're probably, when we're looking at how pressure could grow on Boris Johnson again, I think there are the men in grey suits if the 1922 committee changed the rules. But then I also think the Privileges Committee is potentially a way that this could come about and come to a head. If you remember, that's supposed to conclude in the autumn. Now, what happens in a scenario if the Privileges Committee say, we recommend a suspension of Boris Johnson from the Commons for one day for misleading the House? We don't expect Boris Johnson to resign from that, but that would potentially go to a vote in the Commons. Now, that's when it suddenly becomes quite a big issue that 40% of your party have voted against you and said they don't have confidence in you. That would suggest there'd be a majority saying he should be suspended on this issue, given the Sue Gray report on Partygate is a large factor in the current discontent. And on that, that would be the point at which the ministers who secretly voted against Boris Johnson last night using the secret ballot would have to break cover because there is not a secret ballot in the Commons. Exactly. So do they want to really put their head above the path at this time? But I think that is clearly going to be a bad news situation if, if the committee were to conclude it. And therefore, I, I think there is a sense that autumn looks the trickiest for Boris Johnson in terms of problems. You're also going to have party conference where um, at the moment his standing with the grassroots have been up a little bit during the early stages of the Ukraine crisis. Now it's gone right back down. So are you going to have some of those moments where actually people, you know, those face-to-face moments that are embarrassing that, of course, there is always going to be a chance that things turn around. I think really, though, for Boris Johnson to gain any grip, he needs to have a change of fortune in the public polling because the 
ultimately what is uh, driving many over the edge is electability and that's why the by-elections next month I think so I think the rebels are taking you know they know they have time but I think they think time is effectively on their side because there is actually quite a lot of space and looking ahead it all looks pretty bad news for Boris Johnson. James just on the, the point about ministers secretly voting last night what impact is that going to have on the running of government if you've got ministers who Boris Johnson doesn't know who voted against him last night but there are a significant number who did. I mean there's no good answer to this question for Boris Johnson because either 75% of Tory backbenchers voted against him or a chunk of the payroll voted against him. I mean the most likely more likely explanation is that it's something like half to two-thirds of Tory backbenchers voted against him and and a few payroll. I think that you also saw that again I I think this will cause some tension but I think there's, there's lots of talk of a reshuffle this morning Again, I think this is very difficult because let's imagine Boris Johnson went for a big reshuffle, sacked lots of people, changed the government around quite dramatically. Creating enemies in this situation is quite a dangerous thing to do when you only need 32 MPs to flip to to cost your job. But if it's a limited reshuffle, there are ambitious people who think, oh, maybe I won't get to move up the greasy pole while Boris Johnson is leader because he's too weak. So maybe I am best suited by a change of leader. And then I think there is another problem, which is you know, there are a lot of people who think that they are in line for a promotion or a government job at the next reshuffle, having not been given one previously or to be brought back. And I think that you know when those people are disappointed, that will be another problem. I think this is one of the difficulties for Boris Johnson, which is you know, often you know, we sit around on this podcast and say, well, it's quite clear that they should do X, Y, and Z, and that would improve their position. It is not at the moment obvious what the X, Y, and Z that Boris Johnson should do to improve his position is. And I think one of the problems with potential reshuffle too is if Boris Johnson isn't bold, there's also going to be a backlash from that because there is discontent amongst some in government, but also some who don't have government jobs but have been supportive of the Prime Minister, that they see ministers who haven't come out to publicly say they're going to back Boris Johnson, figures such as Penny Mordaunt, who has been accused of being on manoeuvres. She wrote a piece about what makes a good leader, which wasn't connected to Boris Johnson. It's by about any, D-Day, wasn't yeah, it? It's about B-Day. D-Day. Exactly, D-Day, not B-Day. But in that, people read it and the fact that um, she declined to say to her local paper how she was going to vote. And I think there's a few more people like that. And now um, I'm saying, well, actually what's the point in us all start standing up for you if it turns out you can just do what you want in government and that and there's no discipline now clearly if Boris Johnson was to suddenly oust all these figures who aren't his biggest fan but are on the government payroll it could be an even bigger problem from the back bench but it just shows you that he is now in a situation where because of his reduced authority it's really hard to come around any action that doesn't come with his own problems Fraser, you've been here during this podcast, typing away, making the magazine. Tell us what your thoughts are on this vote. This looks like a slow Tory suicide to me. It's, you know, you you work out you can continue with one guy, but there is no clear plan, no clear alternative. This has been my kind of obsession from the offset. It's like, you know, like you can say, oh, I hate my job, I'll quit my job, but you need to work out what other job you're going to take. There always needs to be an alternative. Now, if there is a great alternative in the form of um, Jeremy Hunt, who's number one of the bookmakers right now, number two is Liz Truss, number three is Tom Tugendhat, number four is Penny Mordaunt. Now, I am all up for somebody explaining to me why any of these four can offer a convincingly better alternative to what we're having right now. I'm slightly alarmed at the fact that nobody's making this case, and yet 
So if the Tories can't really see a material improvement under any of the four most likely improvements, they can be accused of doing exactly what they accuse Boris Johnson of doing, which is staggering on without any real policy or agenda. We've got a piece by Wolfgang Munchau on the Spectator website this morning comparing Boris to Berlusconi. Berlusconi, he was saying, was obviously um, very badly wounded by the Bunga Bunga parties, but his opponents didn't really have a clear agenda, didn't have a candidate, didn't have an alternative, and as a result, he staggered on for quite some time. I'm wondering if that's going to be Boris Johnson's fate. It could well be that there is more coherence to the rebels' plans than they have yet admitted. There could be a fantastic Penny Mordaunt's leadership agenda that we haven't had adumbrated yet. I'd be very keen to hear one, but as it stands, I see them jumping from one place without really any clear idea where they're going to land. Well, we would welcome answers on a postcard, including from the various leadership contenders that Fraser has just named. Fraser, Katie and James, thank you very much, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Coffee House Shots. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating and review. And to keep up to date with the world of Westminster, sign up for Unrivaled Insight and Analysis with Isabel Hardman's Evening Blend newsletter, delivered to your inbox every weekday evening. Sign up at www.spectator.co.uk forward slash evening hyphen blend.